Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. I appreciate that. Great to celebrate with folks taking their first step of obedience and in baptism. What an awesome privilege. Uh, guys in the booth, just let me know if I need to switch. I need to switch? Let's get on here in number eight here. Wires, other times it is inconvenient. But it's so good to see you this morning. And I know that if you're a fan of Texas football, that you're in a pretty good mood today. And so it's good to speak to people in a good mood today. I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. That's where we'll be today. And for those of you who are guests, um, I'm the associate pastor here. My name is Dave Winger, and I'm preaching today because our pastor, John Haley, and his wife are celebrating 25 years of marital bliss. That's according to John. You can ask Joy her opinion later. But uh, they're enjoying some vacation time, and so we miss them, but we're glad they were able to get away and be refreshed. And uh, today, I, I selected the topic to, to preach on based on our Connect Group lesson. Those of you that were in Connect Groups studied in the book of Job today. It's not Job, it's Job. And uh, you learn the story of a righteous man who suffered greatly. And, you know, suffering is, is not a popular topic, but it's consistent, at least in the fact that we all experience suffering. And so I thought uh, for our time together here in the worship service, I thought it would be neat to take that suffering uh, lesson from Job and go to the, old, to, the, to the New Testament and to see what suffering looks like after Jesus came, after Jesus died, after Jesus was buried, rose from the dead. What about suffering now? It's still there. It still exists. But how should we look at suffering in some of the same ways and then in some different ways as well? So if you're there, Romans chapter 8, we're going to look at just two verses of Scripture. And our text for the morning is Romans eight sixteen through 18. It says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The title of today's message is kind of a math equation about suffering. And it's this, present suffering is less than future glory. In fact, if you were to memorize Romans 8, 18, that's pretty much a Cliff Notes version of that verse. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing. They're not, they're not equal to. They're not even worth comparing. They're, they're less than the future glory that we have in Jesus Christ. You know, I mentioned this before, but suffering is an inevitable reality in our world today. If you know Jesus, you will suffer. If you don't know Jesus, you will suffer. Our evangelist Ken Freeman was here last week, and he had four chairs on the stage representing different kinds of people, and one of the chairs represented people that don't know Jesus. Another chair represented people that think they know Jesus, but in reality they don't. Another chair represented people that know Jesus, but they're really comfortable, and they don't really do much about it. And then there was a chair that represented people who were passionately in love with Jesus, 
people in all four chairs suffer. Suffer. Say, way to go, Dave. I was in a good mood until you got up today. But this is so important because it touches us all. And there's some, there's some pretty compelling truths found in just these two passages of Scripture. And if you're in the midst of suffering today, I hope you leave encouraged with the hope that we find here in God's Word. We're going to see four revelations about suffering is found in Romans 8, 16 through 18. And the first revelation is this. Suffering is promised. Suffering is promised. The, the second part of verse 17 there, the language in the New King James Version, it says, if indeed we suffer. But that phrase, if indeed, kind of gives the idea of suffering might be optional. I mean, it says it right there, Dave, if indeed. But the original, uh, the, the original language for that phrase, if indeed, in the Greek, it's I pair, and it's more accurately understood as since. Who has a New Living Translation out there? Your, your translation says since we suffer. Since we suffer. The, the English Standard Version, which is a, a passage, I, I memorized this passage in the English Standard, says provided. It's provided. We're, we're going to suffer with Jesus. In the original language, it's since we suffer. So don't get the idea if your translation says if. It's also followed by indeed. If indeed. It's going to happen. Suffering is coming. You're either suffering now or you suffered and you just got out of suffering, or you're about to get into suffering. Suffering is promised. And so Paul says to Christians, by the way, because verse 16 is all about believers. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. He's writing to Christians in Rome. And if children, then heirs. And, and then he says, since we suffer, suffering is promised. Why? Is suffering guaranteed to everybody on the planet? Because sin always leads to suffering. Sin always leads to suffering. My sin, your sin, other people's sin. Sin always leads to suffering. Why? Because we are sinful people. We have sin-sick bodies. We live on a sin-soaked planet. We are fallen people in a fallen world, on a fallen planet, who do fallen things. And suffering always follows sin. Many times we suffer because of our own sinful choices. We think it would be fun to jump out of a window in a building. So we jump out the window, and then we break both of our legs, and we blame God that both of our legs are broken. Well, the reason your legs are broken is because you made a horrible choice. And sometimes we suffer as a result of our own sinful Choices, but a lot of times we suffer because of other people's sinful choices. Sometimes we suffer not because of our own sin or other people's sinful choices, just we suffer because we live in sin sick bodies. We get sick just like anybody else, we have sorrow just like anybody else. Sometimes we suffer just because we live on a fallen planet. For whatever reason, we suffer, but we suffer always because of sin. Now, again, Paul is writing to Christians here in Rome. Christians, people just like you and me. And at the time of Paul's writing, it was about AD 57, and Nero had been in power for three years. And while the intense persecution that Nero would inflict upon the church hasn't started yet at the time of this writing, it's, it's just around the corner. And so it's just like God to equip the saints in Rome 
on how to deal with suffering just before it is unleashed in an unprecedented way. Now, many of you are thinking, Dave, I thought that if we sin as Christians, as long as we confess our sin, then God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's 1 John 1, 9. You're right. He is. You will find forgiveness when you confess your sin, but he will not remove the consequences of your sin because sin always leads to suffering. Most reasonable people understand that logic. Sin equals suffering. But you know what's difficult and what I even struggle with? It's hard to see a really good person suffer. You know, people that are making sinful choices, we're like, yeah, it serves you right. I hope you feel that way because sometimes I feel that way. And if you never feel that way, then I'm a really bad guy and I need to confess my sin before I move on. Again, my sin is causing suffering. Anyway, so it's, it's good to see sinful people, bad people suffer. I have to confess. Okay, I'm, it's confession time. How many of you see people speed and drive rec- recklessly all the time and the police are nowhere to be found? It is so irritating. Can I get a witness? Amen. Last night, Don and I are, are coming home from a, a beautiful wedding. Uh, Jeremy and Mary McLemore uh, were wedded last night. It was a beautiful event. Driving home, I see this guy whipping in and out of traffic. Like the speed limit's 40 miles an hour. This guy is zinging, I mean, at least 50, probably more, reckless. And I'm thinking, there's another guy. Guess what I saw, though? Heaven sent. Lights. Lights come on. Policeman spins around. I'm like, there you go. You deserve that. And if it was one of you, I'm sorry. I won't describe the car. But that person's sin led to suffering. And sometimes it's deserved. But there are other people that go through things in life, and it's difficult to watch them because these are good people. If you were in Connect Group, you learned the story of Job. The Bible says that Job was a blameless and righteous man. He was a good guy. He feared God. He was a good husband. He was a good father. He had ten children. He was a good businessman. And in one day, less than a day, Job experienced a lifetime of suffering. Just boom, boom, boom. All ten of his children died in a natural disaster. Can you imagine? Like that, at the same time. He lost all of his possessions, all of his resources. He was a wealthy man, and in one day it was gone. His stock market, like sheep, cattle, it all crashed one day. Not only that, but his servants that served him, worked for him, all but four of them were killed in one day. And if that wasn't bad enough, Then he got boils and sores from head to foot. I've never had that. I have six mosquito bites right now, and it's driving me crazy. I can't imagine the suffering that he was was under. And then his soulmate, his life partner, the woman that was to bring joy and encouragement to his life, she said, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? Thanks a lot, honey. People that are good suffer, and when they suffer, man, it's hard to deal with, isn't it? But suffering is promised. 
Suffering is like gravity in our fallen world. It weighs us all down. It affects us all. It's promised. But it really shouldn't surprise us because if you have a Bible and you've looked at it at all, you'll notice that every prominent figure of our faith has suffered, starting with Adam and Eve. They suffered the first relational separation from God. Eve went through childbirth for the first time, and there were no epidurals. Ladies, you know what that's about. Not only that, but Adam and Eve lost a son. He was murdered way too soon. It's not a good thing to lose your kids. Some of you have lost your kids. I can't relate to that. I can't imagine what you've been through. They suffered that. Adam and Eve, the very first human beings on the planet. Not only that, they had to live with the reality that their other son was a killer and a murderer. Then you have Noah. Noah and his wife, building a boat in the middle of the desert, suffered persecution and embarrassment for 120 years. What is this thing, Noah? Why'd you put your life on hold for this thing? This is ridiculous. And then they lost all their family and friends to a natural disaster. I could go on and on. Story after story, Abraham and Sarah, they left everything that they knew and loved to go to a place they didn't even know where they were going. And then they suffered infertility and the embarrassment that goes along with that in a culture where children were everything. On and on, story after story, not just in the Old Testament. I could go to the New Testament, talk about John the Baptist. Jesus said he was the greatest man that's ever lived. That's Jesus talking. He had his head cut off. That's how John the Baptist went out. It wasn't pretty. Almost all of the disciples, all the disciples save one disciple, died a martyr's death. John, the beloved, was the only one, and he was boiled in oil and exiled to a rock island called Patmos. They all suffered. We have a suffering Savior. Suffering is promised. A secular account of Jesus' life would say, this man experienced rejection from his own family, injustice, torture, and he was eventually murdered by people that he loved. That's suffering. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed by a friend, abandoned by his followers, forsaken by his father. He's described as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I wanted to remind you of a passage of Scripture that Jesus, uh, something that Jesus said to his disciples, John 16, He said, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He, he warned us. Suffering is promised. It's a guaranteed. The Apostle Paul, who, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote this passage of Scripture in Romans. The one who said, follow me as I follow Christ, he suffered greatly in his life. Just a quick glimpse into Paul's suffering. 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 28. Paul says, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I, was spent, I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities and the desert and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Suffering is promised. 
every prominent forerunner of our faith lived a life of suffering. Paul said to young Timothy, who was his apprentice, he said, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel. And then he goes on to say in 2 Timothy 3.12, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You see, sometimes we forget that our salvation through Jesus has an already and not yet fulfillment. The already side is when we trust in Jesus for salvation, our soul, our, our, our spirit is justified. We are justified in the eyes of God when he looks at us. He doesn't see our sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. That is here and now. That is done. His Holy Spirit comes in and, and dwells in us and begins the process of sanctification, making us more like Jesus. That's here and now. But then there is a not yet. And the not yet is our glorification. The not yet is when we are no longer in sinful bodies on a sinful planet. The not yet is when there is no more suffering. There are no more tears. There is no more heartache. There's no more fear. That's the not yet. But even for the believer, suffering is promised. That's the bad news. But there's some good news. Number two, the second revelation is that suffering can be productive. It can be productive. In that verse 17, the second part of verse 17 in Romans 8, it says, since we suffer, or if indeed we suffer, or provided that we suffer, but then look at that prepositional phrase, with him. Who is he talking about? Jesus. We don't suffer alone as Christians. We don't suffer by ourselves. We suffer with him. And if we suffer with him, our suffering can be productive. That's why James can say in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, My brethren, count it all joy when, not if, but when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. It produces something. But, verse 4, you have to let it have its perfect work that you may be perfect to complete, lacking nothing. There's a choice in our suffering. It can be productive if we let it, if we suffer with him. You see, suffering can make us bitter or it can make us better. And the only way it will make us better is if we suffer with Jesus and we look for a lesson. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, in verses 3 through 5, he talks about our incredible salvation that is kept, it's reserved, it's waiting in heaven for us. I'm so excited about seeing all that Jesus has prepared for those who love him. He's, he's perfect, and he's doing a perfect preparation that one day we'll see face-to-face. -face. I'm so excited about that. But then he goes on to say in verses 6 through 7, and I wanted to show this to you, 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7. Paul says, in this you greatly rejoice. He's talking about that, that salvation that's reserved in heaven for us. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. There's the suffering. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, though it perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I love this passage because it talks about our present suffering 
But he's saying your present suffering can be productive. It's like, it's like God is purifying your faith in a forge of fire. It's tested by fire. I don't like many TV shows these days, but one of my favorite is on the History Channel. It's called Forged in Fire. Any Forged of Fire fans out there? It makes me want to be a blacksmith when I grow up, honestly. I want to convert my garage. I want to get a forge in there. I want to get an anvil and go to town. Uh, because the, the, the show has four blacksmiths from all over America, and they come in, and they have three hours to use scrap metal and, and take the scrap metal and forge it into something that's functional, like a blade. They give them the specifications and all this stuff. These guys do amazing things with scrap metal, and it involves high heat, like 1,500 degrees Fahrenheit. They're sweating. They have the medical staff on standby in case these guys can't take the heat, you know. Guys are passing out. They're, they're pounding metal with hammers. Guys, you really need to check this show out. Forged in fire. And they're pounding this. They're shaping this metal. And it won't be shaped unless it's heated up to a certain temperature. And the really good guys can just look at the metal and they can tell by the color of the metal uh, what needs to be done. Because they have this vision of a blade in their mind. And they keep heating and they keep beating and they keep shaping and they keep working the steel. And eventually you see this incredible knife created from just lumps of steel. And isn't that what, how God uses suffering in our life? Suffering can be productive. It's like a forge for our faith. It's like a crucible that, that conforms us into the image of Christ. And, and, and circumstances heat us up and they make us bend to God's will. And we, we pay attention to God like we've never paid attention before. And he beats us sometimes and shapes us and makes us. But the end product, man doesn't compare. It's sharp. It's strong. It's a tool that can be used for his glory. Suffering does that to us. Paul David Tripp says, suffering draws out the true thoughts, attitudes, assumptions, and desires of our heart. Suffering can produce in us patience, humility, holiness, honor, an eternal perspective, if we let it if we choose to suffer with him and we acknowledge his presence in our pain. I put up the other day a question on Facebook, kind of doing a, an amateur Facebook poll about suffering. The question I posed was, how has God used personal suffering to make you more like Jesus? How has God used personal suffering to make you more like Jesus? And I got several answers right away. One gentleman said, God taught me humility through my divorce. Thought it could happen to everybody else but me. Why? Because he was a Christian. Put Jesus first. But suffering came. God humbled him. Another person said, I'm learning compassion for other people. Going through my trial, going through my suffering gave me compassion for other people that are going through the same thing. And it also taught me how to forgive other people that hurt me. Another person said, God has used my testimony of trials to help others. Another young man who's in college said, God humbled me, and it was horrible. It was horrible. But now I'm in a place of tremendous spiritual growth. What's the difference between 
these stories and other people's stories that, experiencing, that experience suffering. The difference is they suffered with Jesus. They allowed the suffering in their life to be productive. Did you know that God often uses things he hates to accomplish what he loves? We see that in the life of Job. Did God take pleasure in watching Job suffer through all of this? No. But he knew the end result would be worth it. We are not naturally inclined to seek our Savior. And suffering is a prompt for us to pursue the only one that can relieve our pain. When I was a freshman in college, I went to Liberty University, and I lived in Appomattox, Virginia. Liberty was in Lynchburg, just a half-hour commute. And uh, I would drive back and forth. I also got a job in Lynchburg, 20 hours a week, worked at SK Menswear. Gave me an appreciation for fine men's clothing. Amos, you're about a 50, 54 long. Is that right? Okay. Yeah, see, I still got it. I still got it. Anyway, I was working a job. I was in a serious dating relationship that was unhealthy, not God-honoring. I took 18 hours my first semester. Those of you in college, that's pretty steep. Not very smart. Working a part-time job in an unhealthy relationship, commuting back and forth, trying to do 18 hours. Wasn't really seeking the Lord about the purpose of my life or where I wanted to go. I just wanted to choose a major where I can make a lot of money because I was from a poor pastor's house. It's like, not me. I'm going to have some money. I'm going to drive nice cars. I'm going to live in a nice house. I think I'll be a physical therapist or something. And so I started out. That was my trajectory, and something happened midway through the semester. I started losing weight, like a lot of weight, fast, like 20 pounds in two weeks. I wish I could lose 20 pounds in two weeks, but you don't want to lose it the way I lost it. Trust me. And my parents thought something's really wrong. They took me to the doctor. A doctor uh, told my mom, pulled my mom aside, and said, we think he may have colon cancer. Scary time. Turns out I just had ulcerative colitis, and I had to do a medical withdrawal from school. I had to quit my job, and I was flat on my back taking medicine, taking medicine to try to replenish my body. And it was in that time of suffering for me as a young 19-year-old boy that I was flat on my back. I only had one direction to look, and that was up. And I prayed a lot, and I, I sought God a lot. And just like Paul David Tripp said, that suffering draws out of us uh, unhealthy thoughts, attitudes, assumptions, that's what God brought to my mind. He's like, you're not seeking me about your life. You see, I had a calling of God on my life, and I was ignoring it. I was in an unhealthy relationship, and I was ignoring the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And it was in that time of suffering, when I suffered with Jesus, that he brought all these things to light. And I made some big decisions in that time of suffering that changed the trajectory of my life. God got my attention in a big-time way. So suffering can be productive. Suffering is promised. It can be productive. But number three, suffering is not permanent. In verse 18, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, they're not worthy to compare with the glory that is to be revealed. Suffering is not permanent. It's just for the present time. I love this phrase. Earth is the only hell that Christians will ever know. This is it. This is it. It just gets better from here. We're just passing through. The flip side of that is also sobering and true, that earth is the only heaven 
a non-believer will ever know. You better live it up now. But our suffering on this earth as Christians is just temporary. I love this passage of Scripture, Psalm 91, verses 20 through 21. As I was preparing this week, I came across this passage, and it's so encouraging. The writer, the writer here says, You have shown me great and severe troubles. You who have shown me great and severe troubles shall revive me again and bring me up again from the depths of the earth. You shall increase my greatness and comfort me on every side. This is just temporary. God's going to redeem this. That same theme of present suffering is less than future glory. You know, people say this has not come to stay. It's come to pass. Suffering has come to pass. And that's our hope. Paul goes on to say later in Romans 8, 24 through 25, for in this hope, the hope that one day this will all be gone, the hope that the glory is greater, for in this hope we were saved. But who hopes for what he sees? For if you can see it, it's not hope. But if you hope for what you do not see, you wait for it with patience, with perseverance. And knowing that our suffering is not permanent means that we can not only praise God on our pleasure, it means that we can praise God in spite of our pain because it's just temporary. And so you say, well, what's the difference then, Dave, between Christians and non-Christians and suffering? There's, here's the difference. As Christians, when we go into suffering, we do not suffer alone. We have a presence with us, and we do not suffer forever. There's a presence with us. There's a purpose to it, and it is not permanent. He's present in our pain. Jesus never wastes a hurt. Moving along, the fourth revelation we see in Romans 8, 16 through 18, is this. Suffering is not proportionate to our future glory. Suffering is promised. Suffering can be productive. Suffering is not permanent. But suffering is not proportionate to our future glory. The totality of our suffering will never compare to the eternality of God's glory. The glory will be greater for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. Leading up to verse 17, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he talks about the treasure of God that is in earthen vessels and how we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. We're always carrying about in the body, in our body, the dying of the Lord Jesus. But we do not lose heart. Why? Verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. The glory is greater. We're suffering now, yes, but the glory is greater Verse 18, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That's why Paul says to live is Christ, but to die is what? Gain. Why? Because what's coming is greater. Because the future glory is greater than this present suffering. I looked up glory, and there's some incredible definitions out there. 
One of them is a state of great gratification or exaltation. Magnificence. Webster says, glory is the splendor and beatific happiness of heaven. I'm not sure what beatific means, but it sounds fantastic. It's the beatific happiness of heaven. That's glory. And the glory is greater. I'm going to do a Ken Freeman. Everybody say, the glory is greater. Man, he trained you guys well. That's awesome. I know why he does it now. It's kind of exciting. One day, that simple formula about suffering, present suffering is less than future glory. One day, that equation will be flipped, and it will be present glory is greater than past suffering. You'll be able to look back on all the suffering of your past, and it will all make sense to you because you will be with Jesus. There's that old song, there's coming a day, right? We're looking for that day. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. There'll be no more sorrow there, no more burdens to bear, no more sickness, no more pain, no more parting over there. And forever, I will be with the one who died for me. What a day. What a glorious day that will be. The glory is greater. It's greater. Before we go, I'm going to give you three applications for when suffering comes. What do we do? Okay, we have the four revelations, suffering's promised. Suffering can be productive. If we let the master blacksmith have his will and his way in our life, suffering is not permanent. It has come to pass. It hasn't come to stay. Suffering is not proportionate to glory. One day, we will have a greater glory. But what do I do when suffering comes? Here's your Monday morning application. Number one, you need to submit to God. Submit to God. Didn't we see it in the life of Job when God finally speaks in Job 38? He doesn't answer Job's question about why. He just says, Job, where were you when I did this? Do you know the measurements of the, wor- uh, of the earth? No. Do you know when mountain goats give birth? I don't know what that's about, but Job said no. You know what God was doing? He was reminding Job, I'm sovereign, you're not. I'm God, you're not. I'm in control, you are not. God is all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's all-present. He is all-loving, he is good. Did you know that even when life is bad, God is good? He's good, he's loving, he has a higher purpose And so we need to submit to that. We need to submit to the fact that he is God. Romans 8, 28 and 29. It's an incredible passage to to be reminded of when you're suffering. And, And most of you know this. And we know that all things work together for good. Does it say all things are good? No, it does not. To our prosperity gospel people out there, it does not. And if you read the Bible you'll recognize that that's a false gospel. Just read your Bible. He says, All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. You know, we need to submit to the fact that God knows, God cares, And God is at work for your good and his glory. Not all the ingredients of your life will be good individually, but he will take all the ingredients of your life and stir them together just like he's making a cake, 
And it may require some heat, but man, that finished product is going to taste so good. And one day the glory will be greater. And you'll be able to look back and see his will. Two verses of scripture that have been such an encouragement to me lately are found in Psalm 37. The first two verses are Psalm 37, verses 4 and 5. It says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to him. Trust him. He will help you. Isn't that great? Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him. He will help you. The second passage is also in Psalm 37, verses 23 and 24. It says, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Think about that for a second. A sovereign God delights in every detail of your life. Though he stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. So when suffering comes, and it will, the first thing you do is you submit to God. And it might sound like this. God, I don't understand why this is happening. I'm not going to ask you why. I'm just going to submit to who? I'm going to submit to you. Because you're sovereign. And it says in the Bible that you're concerned with every detail of my life. And that if I commit everything to you, you're going to help me. Because you hold me by the hand. And so, God, I submit to you in my circumstance. Be God in my life. Submit. Submit to God. Number two, search for, search for a lesson. Search for a lesson. Instead of asking God why, ask God what. What can I learn, Lord, from this circumstance? Maybe the only lesson that you can learn is the lesson that Job learned. Though he slay me, yet I will serve him. I am miserable, but I'm going to be miserable for Jesus. I don't understand my circumstances right now, but I want the love of Christ to shine through my life. Search for a lesson. You know, experience is the hardest teacher because it administers the test first and then gives the lesson. But there's a lesson. We have to look for it. Maybe the lesson is humility. Maybe it's reliance. Maybe it's building tenacity in your faith. Maybe it's dependence on God. Maybe it's faith, obedience. Maybe it's generosity. Maybe it's trust. Whatever it is, you need to submit to God's sovereign hand and then ask him to guide you to the lesson. And then in addition to asking what from who, you need to ask how. How can I use this to help others? That brings us to number three. Share your story. Submit to God. Search for the lesson. Share your story. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you, a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. People may say, how can you still smile after what's happened to you? Why don't you just curse God and die via Job's wife? And you can say, because I know that my present suffering is less than the future glory that waits for me. And I serve a suffering Savior. I'm suffering just like Jesus. This is God trying to make me more like his son. Did you know that the pathway to an empty tomb is stained with blood-stained footprints of Jesus? His whole life he suffered. 
In the garden, he prayed, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He submitted to God. He saw the lesson. He looked forward to the cross. The joy that was set before him, he despised all of that suffering. And now we're sharing his story. One day, we'll experience the greater glory. And I'm so glad for that. Will you bow your heads this morning? Nobody's looking around. And as the band comes and begins to play, I want to extend an invitation to you this morning. Those of you that don't know Jesus as your Savior, you, you already know this. You already know that everybody suffers, no matter what they believe, no matter what God they follow, no matter what faith they, pro- they profess. They suffer. You've seen it. And you're probably thinking, what makes Christians different than me? What's the difference, Dave? Why should I follow Jesus? If even Christian people suffer, I'll tell you why. Because Christian people, people that put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, never suffer alone. He promised he would never leave us, never forsake us. He will walk with us through life. Not only do we get his presence, but we get a purpose to our suffering. We know as believers that our suffering is being used by God to do something great in our life. And it's to make us more like Jesus. And that our suffering is not permanent. One day we'll be free from the sinful body, free from the sinful planet, free from the presence of sin. And we will have God wipe every tear from our eyes. Can you claim that? See, the bad news is if you're you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, your suffering is in vain. You'll suffer just like anybody else. But there's no purpose to it. There's no point in it. And by the way, there will be no end to it. To live a life without Jesus Christ is to live an eternity separated from God in the pain of your sin. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, my invitation to you is trust Jesus. Why suffer alone? Why suffer alone? Why suffer without a point, without a purpose, without hope. Jesus gives hope. Not only did he die on the cross, but he rose victorious from the dead, from the grave, proving that one day we too will rise. So if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus as your Savior, there's people across the front with Bible in hand, and they want to show you how you can trust Christ and be saved. And so as I invite people to come, I want you this morning, if you're not a Christian, to come forward and say, I need to be saved. And they would be happy to show you how you can make that a reality. For those of you that are Christians, my invitation to you is this. Don't suffer in vain. Don't get bitter. Submit to to your sovereign God and know that Jesus is with you and say, God, I don't know why. I may never know why, but show me what. Show me how. I want you to be honored in my life, even if it's in my suffering. Maybe my suffering, like Job, can be used to encourage hundreds and thousands of people. I want to be faithful. With everything that Job experienced, he never once sinned with his lips, nor did he account God with evil. He was a righteous man. Maybe your job is to suffer well. So many people in our church are suffering well. I could call you by name this morning. 
You're suffering things that honestly, if I had the power, I'd take it from you. But I have a limited understanding. And so I just have to believe somehow, some way, God's got this. He knows, He cares, He's at work. But let me tell you, you're suffering well. People look at your life and they're like, I don't know how they're doing it. I'll tell you how. The Holy Spirit of God is strengthening them and empowering them and giving them peace that passes all understanding. Your life is a witness. You're a living testimony to the grace of God. Thank you for suffering well. And I pray God will continue to strengthen you so you can do just that. Now share your story. Tell somebody about God's grace. Tell somebody about God's strength. We're going to take a moment. Let's everybody stand. We're going to worship. And if you need to pray, if you need to get saved, if you want to become a part.